Hello! Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 531. I am sick. It's not fun. I do not feel well. Uh, Doing the very best I can. I wanted to record this Thursday night. I could barely talk last night, so here we are. Um, a little better. Headache's still here, but we're pushing through. Hope we're doing well. Um, I had something else I was going to say to start the show, but I don't remember what it is. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm drawing a blank here. I'm excited. Football's going to be great this weekend. I hope we're doing well. Ah, I remember. I'm wearing sunglasses at night. Um, I don't have the energy to deal with people who are mad at me for the D-bag level of wearing sunglasses at night. I don't care. I am tired. I have a headache. Uh, old cranky Zach, leave him alone. Okay, um, here's my, we talked about this a lot all week and last weekend and stuff, but it's just cool that the story continues. On Thursday Night Football, the 49ers beat Seattle 21-13, to and the story by far is 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy. Actually, a better way to put that is 49ers rookie seventh-round pick and quarterback Starting quarterback, Brock Purdy. I love that title. Rookie, seventh-round pick, starting quarterback, Brock Purdy. He's done it again. He won in his second start in the NFL. He's now 2-0 as an NFL starter. Really, he's won three games because even though he didn't technically start against Miami, he played the entire game and won. Uh, Brock Purdy won again against Seattle on Thursday night. By the way, on the road at Seattle, a hostile environment. I had family at the game. Literally, my stepdad was there. Uh, I know it was intense and rowdy. Um, Brock Purdy was 17 for 26 passing against Seattle. 217 yards, two touchdowns, zero turnovers on the day. A job well done. And we've reached the point where Brock Purdy, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but it's getting to a point where we got to give it some kind of name. Whether it's Lynn Sanity or Tebow time or something, it's at that level. I am very curious how long this is going to last, but I don't suddenly see Brock Purdy falling off a cliff. He's not winning with luck. Um, he's actually playing really good football. By the way, the 49ers are now 10-4. and Winning this game on Thursday did clinch them the NFC West title. But Brock Purdy, man, he handles pressure really, really well. And I mean, not just pressure of the moment, that... I would actually probably say too, but he handles defenders hitting him and getting near his body and a messy pocket really well. That's something that I feel like when you're evaluating a quarterback in college and then you're trying to see if they're going to work in the NFL, coaches and scouts and you know people that are decision makers in the NFL, we just roll the dice. They're like, I, I hope he can handle a messy pocket. And the reality is um, Brock Purdy... Very, very, uh, does a very, very good job with bodies around him in in a messy pocket where people are hitting his ankles and hitting him as he throws and he's stepping into hits as he he throws the football. Um, I almost wonder, this is me going totally off script here, but you see a, a, a trend where quarterbacks that go to less prominent colleges, um, I think of Drew Brees at Purdue is one example or Brock Purdy at Iowa State. Is there something to 
if you are a quarterback who plays on a less dominant football team, you have to develop a different skill set. Brock Purdy didn't play with an Alabama offensive line that just allowed him to sit in the pocket untouched for seven seconds. So he had to develop the skill set to get rid of the ball as he's hit, handle pressure, beat blitzes, stuff like that. Um, I don't know. And I don't know, like, would you tell a kid not to go to Alabama because the players around him are going to be too good? That's insane. But I, I don't know. It's, it's worth mentioning. Like, I, I is, I'm even asking the question. Is there something to it where if a quarterback plays at a less dominant football school in college, they're more prepared for the NFL because they had less help in college and had to develop a different level of a different skill set entirely? I don't know, but that's a fun question that we can debate and, you know, kind of leave hanging for a while there. But I do think Brock Purdy is helped by Really good play design from 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he's got receivers wide open. George Kittle, two touchdowns, wide open. Like he, It does help Brock Purdy to be playing for Kyle Shanahan. It's very clear, though, Brock Purdy knows the offense really, really well. And he looks very comfortable. You got to give him credit for being prepared. Because I've gotten comments from people saying, I can't believe how comfortable Brock Purdy is in the spotlight. And to me, I I actually, my belief and my theory is I genuinely believe Brock Purdy was preparing for this all along. I I would bet, I would almost guarantee, like in August and September, he was telling himself, hey, if my name ever gets called, I'd better be ready. And he was preparing and working and studying for the day that if his name was called, he would be ready to seize the moment. So I don't think he's actually caught off guard by his success and his opportunity. I think he knew in the back of his head, or maybe not even in the back of his head, maybe openly, he was preparing, hey, if my name gets called, if Trey gets hurt, if Jimmy gets hurt, I got to be ready for my time. He was ready, and I, I really love that because it's it's so obvious when you watch him play. He's comfortable. He knows the system, and... I'm not going to make any grand statements or big commitments here, but the 49ers are going to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, and they have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I, I really believe that. Their their roster's incredible. Their quarterback's playing good enough. They have a chance, and that's what I'm rooting for. I'm really rooting for the 49ers and Brock Purdy to win a Super Bowl. I want to see, like, how crazy would it be if Brock Purdy won a Super Bowl with the 49ers. They tried multiple times with Jimmy Garoppolo. They even lost a Super Bowl with Jimmy G, but couldn't win one. Then they kind of moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo. They drafted Trey Lance, number three overall. Imagine now if the quarterback who does ultimately lead Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, and the 49ers to a Super Bowl is not Trey Lance. It's not Jimmy Garoppolo. No, it's a rookie seventh-round pick out of Iowa State, Brock Purdy. How? amazing would that be? I love that. I root for chaos in sports, and it would be very, very chaotic if that happened. I don't even know what you would do with your former number three overall pick, Trey Lance. Do you keep him? Is he still your quarterback if Brock Purdy wins a Super Bowl? Like, what do you do? I have no idea. It's such a fascinating conversation. I love the question, though. Can Brock Purdy take this team where Jimmy Garoppolo could not? Because in 2019, they lost the Super Bowl with Jimmy G. Last year, the 2021, the NFC title game, they lost. Rams go on, win the Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo, whether you want to blame him or not, although I, I will say he missed a deep ball in the, the 
Super Bowl against Kansas City that will always stick in my head. Jimmy Garoppolo didn't win a Super Bowl. He's had multiple chances. Can Brock Purdy do what Jimmy G could not? I'll tell you what, though. I would be very, very disappointed if Brock Purdy just lost in the first round of the playoffs. If all this goes on and all this hype and all this questioning and then the 49ers play like, I don't know, who, who's a realistic option? Washington. And they lose to Washington in the playoffs. You know, round one of the wild card round. I'd be like, really? We did all that for a loss in the first round? It would just, it would surprise me and it would be massively disappointing. I, I got to say openly again, I am rooting for Brock Purdy to win a Super Bowl. That's chaotic. That's fun. That's an incredible story. And I would love, love, love to see that. By the way, the 49ers beat Seattle 21-13. It could have been by more. The 49ers had a play. Should have been a pick six. You know, Geno Smith threw a ball, got picked off, taken for a touchdown. That gave the 49ers a 28-3 lead in the second half. Got called back for a really stupid um, roughing the passer call. They also, the 49ers ended the game on the goal line. They literally kneeled on a goal-to-go situation. They could have tried to score and won by more. Uh, It's worth noting. I just think it matters, like... 21-3 21 to 3 isn't actually an accurate representation of how dominant the 49ers were over Seattle in this football game. Um now we got to say Brock Purdy has a ton of really good players around him. George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk. Uh he's going to get Debo Samuel back during the playoffs. He's got a great offensive line. I mean, Trent Williams, the left tackle in San Francisco, is probably the best offensive lineman in football, which is really impressive. And on top of that, the 49ers might also have the best defense entirely in the NFL. And so, not only does this team have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl, I really believe that, but you also have to acknowledge, hey, why is this rookie quarterback doing so well? Well, he's he was prepared. He worked really hard. I don't want to discount that. But also you have to acknowledge Brock Purdy's been put in a really good situation. Kyle Shanahan calling plays, throwing to McCaffrey, Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, amazing offensive line, best defense in football. Remember when you talk about young quarterbacks that not everyone is as fortunate to land in a situation as good as Brock Purdy has in San Francisco. Yeah, Everyone's hard on Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. You're telling me you don't think Trevor Lawrence would do really well playing for the 49ers right now? You know, I, 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 there's, it's a separate thing. I, I think when I say this, people are going to hear me criticizing Brock Purdy. That's not what I'm saying. I am taking nothing away from the hard work and preparation Brock Purdy did. What I am saying is when you're hard on other young quarterbacks who are in much worse situations, try to have the perspective that, Not everyone gets the best defense in the NFL. Not everyone gets the best left tackle in football. Not everyone's throwing to a all-pro, maybe Hall of Fame tight end, and Debo Samuel, and McCaffrey, and Brandon Ayuk. You know what I mean? And a great coach calling plays. I mean, Trevor Lawrence last year? (laughs) Urban Meyer? Was that a good situation? Tell me that the Bears have a defense, uh, really, that can stop anyone the way the 49ers do with Justin Fields. I don't know. I I just, I think it's worth acknowledging that, you know, we give all this praise to this young quarterback, but you also have to acknowledge the help he's getting and the incredible team around him. And I think Brock Purdy would be the first person to tell you, 
Like I, I am winning partially because I got a lot of help. I got veterans helping me who are really kind and have embraced me. Uh, but I, what I don't want to be taken away from here is that I'm not saying um, that Brock Purdy isn't incredible because the dude is so prepared. He worked really hard. He knows the offense. He's he's so confident, and I think part of that's because he's prepared. I, like you see a guy, he's never second-guessing decisions. He's getting rid of the ball really quickly. He's on top of it, and that's a guy who came in in OTAs and just worked his tail off and got ready from day one. And um, I I think Brock Purdy is an incredible story. And he's a quarterback who's playing really, really well right now. Now, uh, I started making a list, uh, keeping track of all the horrible roughing the passer calls this year. Early in the third quarter, Geno Smith threw a pick six that should have given the 49ers a 28-3 lead. It was a really bad roughing the passer call on Nick Bosa that got that called back and erased off the board. It's disappointing. We need a solution. Two weeks in a row, in prime time, uh, there was a hit on Justin Herbert that was nonsense that should not have been roughing the passer. He got sacked, but somehow that was a penalty. And then here, you're hitting Geno Smith as he throws the football. Apparently, that's not allowed. I don't know. It's just... I'd love to see a system where you can review this or go in after the fact. Because it's... I don't know how you call that in real time. The rules are so dicey and up in the air. You almost need replay to determine that kind of stuff. If there's a penalty thrown like that, can we just have the ability to review it? Is that possible? That's what I would really like in the NFL. I think we'll do some kind of... I've got this list made up of like... There's like 15 plays on it of all the really awful roughing the passer calls we've seen this year. I don't know what kind of content to make about that this offseason, but I want to kind of get it prepared and do something with it because it's worth pointing out like all these fundamentally broken rules and systems that are allowing I I don't know how you play defense man I like I look at defenders I, I'm a former quarterback you would think I would have quarterbacks back don't touch the quarterback but no 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 I, I don't know how you play defense anymore I feel bad for defenders like if you sneeze on a quarterback wrong <laughs> you're gonna get penalized and it's like oh the poor guys I don't know by the way Seattle started the year six and three Seattle is now 7-7. Seven and seven. They have fallen and fallen and fallen. They've lost four of their last five games. It's disappointing. Um, I don't have a lot of analysis here. I have a question, though. Could Seattle, being 7-7, seven and seven, having kind of a disappointing tail to their year, like the end of their year has kind of fallen off a little bit, how does that impact Geno Smith's contract this offseason? I, I have no idea what to expect from a Geno Smith contract offer this offseason. Seems like he is their franchise quarterback. Is he going to make $20 million a year? Like, I, certainly he's not going to get massive. Like, you know, I don't think he's making like $150 million or anything like that. But, you know, maybe it's $80 million for four years or something like that. I don't know. I'm really curious. And does Seattle losing more lead to Geno making less money? I, I don't know. But it's really interesting. Um this Geno Smith contract situation moving forward because you would also think Seattle's learned, hey, when you give a quarterback all the money on your roster, like you really, when you pay a quarterback like you paid Russell Wilson, it makes it hard to build a team around that guy. Um, and, and I hope Seattle doesn't make the same mistake twice with Geno Smith. All right. Um, give me one second. I got to blow my nose. Do I sound sick? I don't feel like I sound that sick, but I definitely don't feel good. 
and I definitely have lots of congestion, which is really brutal. Um, so we got to talk about this. Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray tore his ACL, happened on the third offensive snap of Monday Night Football against New England. And for Arizona, it's been a really bad year. They're 4-9. and nine. It's been very disappointing, and now things have gotten even worse. Um, this offseason, Kyler Murray signed a five-year, $230 million contract extension. It's a lot of money, and uh, this year he did not play well. Kyler did not play as well as you would expect, given the massive contract. They're losing games. Um, the team is 4-9. and nine. Now he's done for the year, and you know this year Kyler Murray threw... 14 touchdown passes, also seven interceptions. Um, He did run for three touchdowns, but had six fumbles. So on the year, Kyler has had, uh, I guess, the year. It's now over, so he's he's not going to play anymore. Kyler had 17 touchdowns this year, 14 passing, three running, and 11 turnovers. That's really bad. A guy making $230 million shouldn't have 11 turnovers to 17 total touchdowns and a 4-9 record. Um... Arizona's in a really bad spot because it's so late in the year and recovery time for Kyler's torn ACL is going to take a really long time. And so Kyler's not going to be the day one starter next year in Arizona. He's not going to be recovered in time. And Kyler might miss all of next year. You know, if things don't go well, he might not play next year. And so the Cardinals are going to have to create some kind of plan at the quarterback position for the rest of this year and for next year. And maybe that's Colt McCoy, their current backup quarterback, who's actually their starter now that Kyler's out. Uh, Colt McCoy isn't horrible. He's actually an all-right quarterback. He started this year and beat the Rams earlier. But here's an interesting thought. Could Arizona go get a bridge-the-gap quarterback that could help win next year until Kyler Murray returns. You're not going to get rid of Kyler. You're paying him too much money to replace him. But I can think of a couple names uh, where guys maybe could use the opportunity and be a starter for like half the year. Maybe Matt Ryan doesn't want to retire. And he's like, look, I'm going to lose my job in Indy. Arizona could use me for eight games. Sure. I'll I'll postpone retirement and go play in Arizona for eight games to be the starter until Kyler's back. Maybe Davis Mills in Houston. Looks like he's going to lose his job to Bryce Young in Houston. So what do you do with Davis Mills? Hey, he I think Davis Mills would play pretty well in Arizona. Or Gardner Minshew, a guy who ran an air raid offense in college and in high school. He, he could work in Cliff Kingsbury's system. Maybe Carson Wentz is a possibility. Carson Wentz lost his job in Washington. What are they going to do with him? Maybe Arizona can find a use for him for the first half of next year. And here's a weird idea. What if Arizona went and got Baker Mayfield? (laughs) He did play for Cliff Kingsbury briefly in college. It ended badly. He walked on, was like incredible, then didn't get a scholarship and left angry and went to Oklahoma transferred away, but maybe they can restart. Maybe Baker Mayfield goes to Arizona. How wild would that be? By the way, Baker played at Oklahoma, then Kyler came to Oklahoma and played after Baker, so it'd be like a weird reversal now where they went after each other at Oklahoma, now they go after each other at Arizona. I'm not really sure. It's just interesting. Theoretically, Arizona is not a terrible football team next year. 
the opportunity is interesting. You get to throw to DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Hollywood Brown when he's healthy. What's going to be interesting is that, you know, you're, you have to ask the question, what is Arizona going to do at quarterback? Do they go get someone to bridge the gap? And who could that be? Is it Gardner Minshew? Davis Mills? <laughs> Baker Mayfield? It's, I'm really interested. What if Arizona goes and gets somebody to buy them some time in the quarterback position to try to win early next year before Kyler returns? But let's add another wrinkle to all that. Cardinals general manager Steve Keim is taking a health-related leave of absence. It's worth and very important to say. I hope he's okay. Um, when you hear, you know, the info is private. But whenever you hear leave of absence, health reasons, I immediately think cancer or heart stuff, and I get really scared. I just hope he's okay. But it's it's interesting timing for the organization because they don't have a quarterback. Your coach is on the hot seat. Steve Keim has a contract through 2027 in Arizona. They need a decision maker right now, honestly, to to work. You know, they've got people stepping up, but um, who knows when Steve Keim is going to be back. It does not seem like his job is in danger, but they need someone to figure out what's the plan at quarterback. They need someone to figure out if they're going to keep Cliff Kingsbury. And right now, he's not going to be around to make that decision. We'll see when he returns, if he returns, what's going to happen, but... That's an interesting wrinkle there to me. I'm very interested. Does Kyler Murray's torn ACL, does this injury make it more or less likely that head coach Cliff Kingsbury will get fired in Arizona? I have no idea. It could go either way. They're not going to have Kyler Murray for a long, long time. I mean, I expect them to lose. They couldn't win even with Kyler Murray. So... Uh, I don't know how you expect them. If they're not going to make a move, especially Colt McCoy is not going to win a lot of games replacing Kyler Murray. And bringing in a new coach when Kyler Murray isn't healthy feels like a bad idea because maybe you're setting up that coach to fail. You know, you've come in, you don't have a quarterback. Does anyone, any coach want a job where you don't have a starting quarterback for a while? Like that's seems like a risk and you're still going to get judged on your losses without Kyler Murray. I wouldn't love that. Or maybe because you expect to lose, is it maybe actually a good chance to reset your franchise? Maybe a coach would come. I'm not really sure. I got two big questions. How will Kyler Murray's torn ACL impact Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury? And could Arizona bring in a short-term solution at quarterback for next year? Those are the two biggest questions in Arizona right now. Cliff Kingsbury going to keep his job? And <laughs> could Arizona bring in Baker Mayfield? What? That'd be so chaotic and fun. I love that thought. All right. Um, let's go from something chaotic and fun to uh, really sad. And I don't know how to transition the news. Um, I don't. I don't know how to. I don't know how to transition the energy of, of the show, which was upbeat, to now something really sad. Um, College football head coach Mike Leach died. He was pretty young. He was only 61 years old. He was the head coach at Mississippi State, and the school said he died after complications related to a heart condition. And it's it's very sad. I mean, the number one thing that comes to mind is that he was so young. 61 years old is terrifyingly young. I find that really scary. If someone told me I was going to die at 61 years old, 
I, I do a lot of things differently, probably. Like, I hope I live longer than that. And he had a, it seemed like a good life. He, he, you know, hang out in Key West a lot, went fishing. But it is kind of sad. He had a lot of money and he never got to retire and spend his money. And um, death is always a wake-up call to me. Uh, you know, we're right around the, my brother who died's birthday uh, was on Wednesday. And that was a hard day for me. And, um, you know, Mike Leach coached at Texas Tech, Washington State, Mississippi State. I was actually at Washington State while Mike Leach was coaching there. I watched the Luke Falk era. I watched Gardner Minshew, you know, Minshew Mania. I watched that firsthand from the sidelines. What stands out to me when I think about Mike Leach is just his interviews, man. I loved how he answered questions. And not only was it very entertaining, it was a really creative way to dodge answering tough questions. Um, Bill Belichick, the Patriots head coach, has a, a strategy of dodging the media by literally just not saying anything. The way Mike Leach dodges the media is he talks about anything but football and he goes off on crazy crazy tangents about other stuff. You ask him a football question, he's going to give you a terrible answer. But if you ask him about pirates, ponies, unicorns, who would win in a fight, he'll, he'll pipe up. He's full of sound bites, just not about football. That's a genius of Mike Leach. And I, I, you see something similar, I think, happening with Mike McDaniel in Miami. Mike McDaniel gives incredibly fun answers, but he never really gives you any football information. I really, really enjoyed um, being around Mike Leach and getting to, to watch his interviews and see that stuff with my own eyeballs. And not only were the interviews fun, but watching any team coached by Mike Leach always scored a lot of points and therefore was a blast to watch. And so um, I just, I, I walk away alarmed because he died really young and with a lot of reverence. Mike Leach created the air raid offense. He threw the football a ton. That's his monumental contribution to the football world. He's a legend. I want to share a post by uh, my friend, Coach Dan Casey. He shares quotes from football coaches. Mike Leach, real quote, said this. There's nothing balanced about a 50% run and 50% pass. That's 50% stupid. What's balanced is if you have five skill positions and all five are contributing to the offensive effort in a somewhat equal fashion. So if you throw the ball half the time and run the ball half the time, you're giving it's it's you're giving one skill player, usually your starting running back, a lot of opportunities compared to everyone else. Actually, what Mike Leach argued is if you got four receivers and a running back and they're all touching the football an equal amount, that's actually uh, you know, a, a way to contribute in an equal fashion to the offensive effort, which is what he says. I love that. And that's that's the air raid offense in a nutshell, which is really cool. And um, you know, it, it's just a, I, I don't know how to, I don't know what else to say other than like, he really revolutionized the ability to throw the football. I want to now read an Instagram post from an Instagram account, Die Hard Cougs. The writing's kind of, uh, imperfect to read out loud, but it's, it's a really touching memorial. Let me read it. Die Hard Cougs posted this on Instagram. That's Cougs is in the Washington state Cougars. They said, rest in peace to the greatest coach ever. Thank you so much for everything that you have done to this university. We were just some school that had a flag at college game day every Saturday and was a doormat to whoever we were playing when you showed up. 
Coach Leach quickly turned this program around and brought national prominence back to Wazoo. Six bowl games, 55 wins, a memorable win over number five USC in 2017. College game day came to Pullman to beat the number 12 ranked Ducks. That's arguably the greatest day in Cougar history, along with the special winningest season in Wazoo history, 11 wins in 2018. Coach Leach put us back on the map, and I am forever grateful for what he did. Rest easy, Pirate. Um, I, I couldn't have said it any better. I, I really... Uh, Mike Leach left a really cool... Not imperfect, but a, but a really cool legacy at Texas Tech, at Washington State, and Mississippi State. And um, as someone who grew up in the Northwest and made fun of Washington State my entire life for being a horrible, awful football team. He went there, won, turned things around, and uh, you know a lot of people at Washington State will forever be grateful for what he did for them. I got to write in on Patreon. Devin wrote in on Patreon, as you can. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. Devin said this, Hey, Zach, in honor of Mike Leach, do you have a favorite Mike Leach moment? Um, I do. I made a film analysis video of Gardner Minshew using Washington State film. And he saw it. Mike Mike Leach did. And he reached out to me. He was very kind to me. Uh, it was one of the highlights of my career. And, uh, you know, I, he actually, he was curious where I got the film, which I, I didn't tell him. I said, ah, you never reveal your source, kind of joking. And he, he told me, uh, if you ever need film again, just come to me next time. Um and it, that never happened, but it was, he was just really kind to me in this, in this cool moment. And, uh, I, I'll always remember that. Like he did not need to reach out and say, I like your video. That's such a crazy, weird thing to do, but he did. Um, and I, uh, I'll always think that's pretty cool. And I, um, I, I gotta say again, man, 61 years old is so young. Um, it's a, it's a stark reminder that you, you never know, man it's it just feels so fleeting life does and you gotta enjoy every moment you have and do the very best you can with everything you got um and uh i i just i was i had a heavy heart when i read that i was already in a bad space when i found out he died uh and so it was just really really difficult to hear he died and um i have a lot of fun memories watching him win and do great interviews and all kinds of stuff and the fact that he died at 61 years old unexpectedly out of the blue that's that's terrifying. Um, I mean, for all I know, my body's riddled with cancer. And so, uh, don't take anything for granted in this life. Now, I forgot to mention this during the last episode. There was a play I want to make sure does not get forgotten from last weekend. It was a small little fourth down play from the Jets and Bills game, week 14. Um, the Buffalo Bills did something really cool. It was fourth and one. And Bill's tight end, Dawson Knox, quickly ran and lined up under center like he was going to run a quarterback sneak. And it was a really cool design. It's a dummy snap count. Buffalo is just trying to draw the Jets offsides to get them to jump, and it worked. And it's a genius design because it's really convincing. Multiple times this year, we've seen a tight end run under center and run a quarterback sneak. We've seen... Um, really the one that sticks in my head the most is watching Travis Kelsey do it with the Kansas City Chiefs. And they got a, with this play design, it was a fake, 
but it looked real. He quickly ran under there, got under center, looked like he was going to snap the football. They got a really good player, C.J. Mosley, to jump offside for the Jets on fourth and one. And I think it's worth shouting out. Just a cool little wrinkle by Buffalo that um, I wanted to talk about. It was in my notes, and I, I, I accidentally left it out last week, or I guess on Monday. So here we are giving a shout-out to Buffalo for this unique, cool little play to get the Jets to jump offsides. Okay, we got to talk about the Carolina Panthers because currently Carolina is 5-8. and eight. They are one game behind Tampa in the NFC South. Tampa is 6-7. and seven. And it's been a very weird year for Carolina where they started the year with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. They also started the year losing. They were 1-5. They fired their head coach, Matt Rule. P.J. Walker eventually became their quarterback, and they promoted Steve Wilkes to interim head coach. Now Carolina's in a crazy scenario where their former quarterback, Baker Mayfield, is now the starting quarterback of the L.A. Rams. And two games ago, Carolina made Sam Darnold their starting quarterback. Sam Darnold has gone 2-0 as their starter. And now, here's the really interesting scenario. If Carolina wins the last four games of the year, they will win their division, the NFC South. And that would be a 9-8 and record making the playoffs. That's absurd. To start the year 1-5, and fire your head coach, switch quarterbacks multiple times, and still maybe make the playoffs is crazy. In Carolina's last four games, they play Pittsburgh, Detroit, Tampa Week 17, and then at New Orleans. Uh, you know, at Tampa Week 17, at New Orleans, end of the year. Detroit is the most dangerous team on the Carolina Panthers' schedule. And the Tampa game is massive. On the road at Tampa, could decide everything in their division. That's probably going to be the fight for the division title. But I recommend you keep your eye on Carolina because they've got a massive opportunity here for a lot of people to make a name for themselves. I mean, maybe Steve Wilkes will permanently become uh, the head coach in Carolina by winning and making the playoffs. Maybe Carolina will make the playoffs, which would be crazy. And maybe Sam Darnold will establish himself as the permanent starting quarterback in Carolina. There's four games left for Carolina, the Panthers. It's going to be very, very interesting what goes down. Um, You know, that Lions game, not easy. I think Pittsburgh, you got that one this weekend, but then the Lions are rolling. Their defense is playing better. Their offense is incredible. At Tampa is always tough, and then you still got to finish the year at New Orleans. Uh, Keep your eye on Carolina. How insane would it be, though? It'd be two years in a row we'd see an interim head coach make the playoffs. Rich Bisaccia last year with the Raiders, and then maybe Steve Wilkes this year with Carolina. I am rooting hard for Steve Wilkes, Sam Darnold, and the Carolina Panthers. All right, uh, let's talk about this weekend. There are nine games I'm really, really excited for this weekend. A bunch of storylines. Let's start with this. There are two big games on Saturday. Number one is Miami at Buffalo. Miami is 8-5. and five. The Bills are 10-3. and three. And Miami has to win this football game. They did beat Buffalo earlier this year. But right now, Miami's in a bad spot. They've lost two games in a row. And two games in a row, their quarterback, Tua, hasn't been great. And so winning this game for Buffalo would give the Bills a three-game lead in the division with three games left. You cannot afford to lose this game if you want to win the division title in your Miami. Uh, I've got a note here. It says, the cold, right? All week it's been a conversation. How is a team from Miami going to handle playing in the snow in Buffalo? Is that an advantage or not? I, I would think so. 
Miami's trying to downplay it. Mike McDaniel gave a quote where he was trying to say, look, everyone needs to acclimate to the cold. You know, nobody vacations in Buffalo. Where do the Bills players go when they are cold in the offseason? So, like, you know, it's it makes sense to me. Um, but I, I'm really curious how the cold might factor in. I would think it gives Buffalo an advantage. Um, you know, I... Miami's running game has to get going. If it's cold and snowy and they're throwing, I've played in snow games in Washington, not quite Buffalo, but it's like throwing a brick. That football is not warm and it's hard to catch. And I know in the NFL, you got more technology and stuff, but um, Tua, I worry for him. If it's snowing in a blizzard, I want Josh Allen as my quarterback, a guy who can run people over and run quarterback boot and run the football well. Um, Miami's more finesse. Buffalo's more power. In a cold, snowy game, I would rather have power as my defining factor than Miami, which has finesse throwing like slants every five minutes in the cold. I worry for Miami here, and so I'm really interested. Buffalo hosting Miami this weekend on Saturday. Massive game. It's going to be really, really interesting. Also on Saturday, you got the Ravens and the Browns. The Ravens are trying to compete for division title. Their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, is out and will not play in this football game. Uh, So keep your eye on the Ravens and what happens there. I'm also really excited to track the progress of Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. How long until Deshaun Watson has a really good game playing for Cleveland? Could it be this weekend? By the way, uh, I want to David Ojabo, a guy who is once going to be a first round pick out of Michigan pass rusher. Believe it was his Achilles. He tore his Achilles uh, for Michigan near the end of the year last year. So he was, he really fell back in the NFL draft. He probably would have been a first-round pick without the injury. Uh, the Ravens ended up drafting him later in the draft. He's going to make his NFL debut against the Ravens. Against sorry, he plays for the Ravens against Cleveland on Saturday. I'm just curious. I don't expect David Ojaba to do much. His first ever NFL game, but he'll be in the rotation, getting after the quarterback, and that could be really fun and interesting. Uh, Sunday, we got a lot of really good stuff. Eagles-Bears is the first thing that grabbed my attention when I looked at Sunday's schedule. Philly should win easily. I'm not worried about that. But what is fun is Bears quarterback Justin Fields, he is questionable. But if he plays, you would have two really fun quarterbacks to watch in this football game. Jalen Hurts for Philly, Justin Fields for Chicago. Those are both names that I have heard in the MVP conversation. We might get a really special treat watching two Really fun quarterbacks on Sunday in this football game. Jets-Lions is a massive game. The Lions have won five of their last six games. You know, they are not an easy team to beat. The Lions' defense has gotten better. Their offense is already incredible. And Detroit is trying to make a playoff push and, and get ahead and make it into the playoffs. So are the Jets. And the big story here is that Jets quarterback Mike White was not cleared to play by doctors, which means that the Jets are going back to their former starting quarterback, Zach Wilson. Remember, he got benched, and now with Mike White hurt, he's going to get a second opportunity. And if Zach Wilson plays amazing here, I think he could regain the starting quarterback job because he's a he's a top-five pick. And when you're that invested in a quarterback, they get more opportunities. It's not fair. It's just true. If he's average, you got a tough decision to make. But I'm curious, can Zach Wilson regain the Jets' starting quarterback job by throwing like five touchdowns and 500 yards or something crazy against Detroit on Sunday? Jets-Lions is an absolutely massive game. It's probably, you know, 
Miami, Buffalo, I'm really interested in. And then Jets, Lions, I'm also, that's my second most interesting game this weekend is Jets and Lions. The next game I want to talk about is the Steelers against Carolina. We have no idea who Pittsburgh's quarterback is going to be. Kenny Pickett, their rookie starting quarterback, is in concussion protocol. He may or may not play. Probably not. Uh, So the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh is a storyline, but I'm not really even interested in that. What I am interested in is Carolina. Carolina has to win. If Carolina wins their last four games, they would get the NFC South division title and make the playoffs. So Carolina, this is their first of four games they got to win. Can Carolina take care of business? If they lose here, it's a really deflating loss. Technically, their season wouldn't be over. But Carolina controls their own destiny, and they got to do it starting with a win against Pittsburgh. Here's a game that... This game is not actually interesting, but there's a storyline that's interesting. It's the Patriots playing the Raiders. It's interesting in one aspect because Josh McDaniels is playing his old team, Bill Belichick and New England. I'm really curious what happens. But honestly, the Patriots offense is incredibly boring to watch. Um, The Raiders are bad. Eh, I'm not that pumped, but I'm really curious to see how Josh McDaniels does against his old team. So if you're interested in outcomes, keep your eye on what happens in the Raiders-Patriots game. Chargers-Titans is a really big game. Uh, The Chargers are 7-6. and And if the LA Chargers win, they've got a chance to sneak into the playoffs. If they win out, excuse me. If LA can win every game the rest of the year, they'd finish 11-6 and and might be able to sneak into the AFC playoff picture. Look, the LA Chargers have a lot of talent. They've dealt with injuries all year, but they could be healthy by the playoffs, and that would be massive. Now, this game is a weird, funny matchup. Last week on Sunday Night Football, we saw the LA Chargers pass defense play really, really well against Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Tua, and the Miami Dolphins offense. But the Chargers are notoriously bad at stopping the run on defense. Tennessee has got Derrick Henry and they love to run the football. So it's a big test for Justin Herbert and his football team. Can their defense stop Derrick Henry? Can they win? I mean, maybe it's a shootout and, you know, it's just on Herbert to score enough points to stop and, you know, outshine Derrick Henry. But if you lose in your LA, your season's basically over. Seven and seven is not going to be good enough. Um, but right now, the Chargers have hope. They're coming off a great win on Sunday Night Football. They could win here, be eight and six. And 11-6, and six, I think, might get them into the playoffs. And and also, if L.A. does make it into the playoffs, I think they are a dark horse Super Bowl team. Like, they have a lot of talent, and I think can hang with anyone, but their biggest test in a while is going to be this one, uh, playing Tennessee. They got to stop the run. Sunday night football is the New York Giants at Washington. Both teams are 7-5-1. and one. Uh, Last time they played each other, they tied. And right now in the playoff picture, Washington is the number six seed. The Giants are the number seven seed. This game is going to really impact the playoffs, and it's also a division rivalry game. It's going to be kind of just a classic, fun Sunday night football game. Chris Collinsworth, um, going to be cold weather. It's December in Washington. I I like this thought. It's a fun one. It's interesting. I think it's going to be a really fun kind of classic, not high scoring, probably just kind of a we're thinking like 21 to 17 Sunday night football game. It's going to be tense and interesting and have a very interesting effect on 
the NFC playoff picture. Now, on Monday, we get to revisit and see our old friend Baker Mayfield. The Rams play at Green Bay, and Baker is the Rams starting quarterback. He's now had 11 days with the Rams and their offense to study and prepare. So in this football game, we're going to get Aaron Rodgers and Baker Mayfield. It's two bad football teams with losing records, but Baker Mayfield trying to save his career, I think, makes this interesting. This Monday night game, I'm interested. You know, we also get to watch Packers rookie receiver Christian Watson. He's had seven touchdowns in the last four games. He's really coming along. Um, I think Rams at Green Bay, despite the fact that it's two bad football teams, Christian Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, there's enough here to find some fun and find some joy, and I'm, I'm really excited for it on Monday Night Football. All right, guys, let's end the show today with questions from Patreon. If you want to submit questions to the show, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. I am really sick. I'm having a hard time talking, doing my very best. Uh, Patreon is a massive deal. It really helps me. And if you submit questions on Patreon, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the show. Troy starts us off. Troy wrote in and said, Hello to the all-important Zach's eyeballs. As a Raiders fan, I feel like Derek Carr has been just consistently mid over his whole career. With a high-ish draft pick, should we trade Derek Carr? Or, you know, draft someone like Bo Nix or Cameron Ward, if he's declared yet, I can't remember, in the second round. What are your thoughts? P.S. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Thank you, Troy. I'm doing all right. Um, The Raiders, if the draft happened today, would have the number eight overall pick. They're probably going to have a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. If you ever are going to trade away Derek Carr, now is the time. Like, do it now. Pull the trigger. Um, I, I think it would be good for both sides. The Raiders clearly are not doing well. I think you give Derek Carr an opportunity to go somewhere else and reset his career. Uh, you mentioned Cameron Ward. He's not going to be available in the draft. He's a he's a sophomore at Washington State. Um, maybe a draft Anthony Richardson from Florida, but he's got to sit for a year or two. He's a long term project. You got to develop. So I'm not sure, but I will just say if you ever, I don't know that the Raiders are ever going to trade Derek Carr away. But if you ever are going to do it, you better do it right now. This is the best time in your life you're ever going to get to trade Derek Carr away. Um, not because he's at an all time high value, but because. It's, it's a good leaping off point, and someone that might want him, you got to pick where you could potentially get another quarterback in the top 10. You could also pair whatever pick you get for Derek Carr with someone else. There, there's opportunity and, and, op, and options here, and uh, I, I would love to see Derek Carr go somewhere better where he's got a chance to win, like, I don't know, New Orleans or, uh, dare I say, the Patriots or Atlanta or... I don't know. Um, everyone's really excited about C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback. I admittedly haven't watched a lot of film on him, so we need. I need to go back and watch more film, but I, I am inclined to believe that he's often elevated by having really great players around him and playing against lower-level opponents. Um, would you rather have C.J. Stroud or Derek Carr? I, I kind of lean Derek Carr, and that might sound crazy, and I'm probably going to get clipped out five years from now. You're insane and stupid. But um, I, I see a world where, like, Derek Carr 
is available and could be a starting quarterback on another team next year, and that excites me. We got another write-in from uh, Tyler. It's about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm not going to read it here, Tyler, but I have a plan for your write-in. It's just, your your write-in has been kind of an obsession of mine. I've been writing... I mean, this is me only talking to Tyler. Tyler's the only person, unless you go to the Patreon and find what Tyler submitted. Um, Tyler, I have got a lot of ideas for your write-in, and I've gone through like eight iterations of lists to answer your MCU question, and I keep making changes, and I haven't landed on a final draft yet. So I, I'm not going to read your question yet, but I, I want you to know I'm working on it, and I've got a fun topic, I think, at some point, but uh, I'm not going to answer it here. Optimistic Cyclones fan. So, Tyler, hope you're doing well. Optimistic Cyclones fan says, Hey, Zach, Matthew here. Oh, his name's Matthew. All right, Matthew. Wow, hello. I know you already talked about Brock Purdy on your Monday episode, but I wanted to share some thoughts. Do you think Brock Purdy can lead the, lead the Niners to a Super Bowl? In my opinion, the answer is yes. He absolutely can. Brock Purdy has shown he can run the offense at an efficient level. The real question is, will he? If he continues to play at his current level, then I think he can definitely make a deep run in the playoffs. I'm preparing myself for the potential reality that this is just a flash in the pan, so the magic will wear off. A third-string quarterback leading their team to a Super Bowl never happened before. However, being the optimist I am, I'm already thinking ahead to a potential Super Bowl. My dream Super Bowl is the 49ers against Cincinnati. Could you imagine the former number one overall pick against Mr. Irrelevant in the Super Bowl. Not only would it be a rematch of Super Bowl XX... Is that, is that 43? 33? I don't know. 23? XX... I, I, I? I don't... That's, that's 23, right? Because... Is that really how many years it's been since that Super Bowl? Was that the 23rd Super Bowl? That can't be. What does X mean? Someone let me know. I don't, I don't know how Roman numerals work. Anyway... It would be a homecoming for Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's from Gilbert, Arizona. Coincidentally, the last time Brock Purdy played in State Farm Stadium was a 2021 Fiesta Bowl where he was named the offensive MVP. The storylines would write themselves. I know I'm getting ahead of myself and this is very little, there's very little chance this actually happens, but it would be so much fun. Um, Matthew, I'm with you, man. It would be so cool to see Brock Purdy, a kid from Arizona, win a Super Bowl in his home state, I'm rooting for that. I love that. I've talked earlier in the show about how that's chaotic, and I, I want that to happen. So, um, optimistic. Matthew, I'm, I'm with you. Steven wrote in and said, Greetings, Zach's all-seeing balls. <laughs> Zach's all-seeing balls. How amazing. I love that. This week, I have no question. I just wanted to say that all we all appreciate the hard work and care that you put into all of your videos. It's so obvious the amount of passion you put into what you do and how clearly you enjoy it. Thank you for making each week great. P.S. If you're ever near Boardman, Ohio, I'd love to get a beer with you and talk football. Also, if you got any more room in the Fantasy League, I'm totally down. Steven, you're in! Welcome to the Fantasy Football League for next year. Um, Steven, thank you. I really appreciate it. Welcome to the Patreon. Um, Steven, uh, this, maybe maybe it's a different Steven. Yeah, it's not the one. There's a different Steven later who says he's new to the Patreon. Anyway, um, it's hard. This show is really hard to make. I don't think people realize that. Um, I don't just sit down and talk, and I do a lot of research, and it's, I don't make a lot of money, and I'm kind of dying. Like I'm, It's really hard for me, honestly. Um, so I appreciate that, man. I, uh, 
the deadlines are what kills me, honestly. I'm I'm really I don't know how to make content about sports that isn't time sensitive, but I would love to do that. I look at Brett Coleman, makes a video a week, does a podcast, but he really makes a video a week doing a film analysis breakdown. That looks fun. Still stressful. I don't I don't know. I'm not really sure. I, I just know that um I'm stressed all the time doing the show and it's really hard. So Steven, I just appreciate your words. Thank you so very much. Carter wrote in and said, Max Duggan had heart surgery four weeks before the start of the year. Turns out they were implementing, implementing, I can't even talk. Turns out they were implanting the heart of a champion. I mean, Max Duggan lost, but he was a madman out there. And I think he's probably worth a late round pick for his clear devotion. He also played last year with a torn foot ligament. Maybe the Rams or Vikings take him as a backup. Um, Carter, I just want to use this opportunity to acknowledge that Max Duggan started the year as the backup quarterback for TCU and then led them to, that led them to the college football playoff. He finished the year as a Heisman Trophy finalist, and I think that's just such a cool story to go from a it was a starter to benched to backup to then Heisman Trophy finalist is, is incredible, and I really, really uh, find Max Duggan and his story very, very cool. Um, my throat really hurts. Um, I've got a lot more to go question wise, but I want to let you know that, um, I'm pushing through and it's, it's not easy. If if my speech sounds weird, I'm doing the best I can. I, I have a really sore throat. I'm very sick and I'm doing the very best I can. Uh, Balin writes in and says, hello, Zamboni's eye sockets. I hope you know. That now that you've said you enjoy these weird greetings, they're going to keep getting weirder and weirder. I love that. Never underestimate the internet. (laughs) I was going to have a totally different write-in about the Chargers, but you pretty much covered it on Monday's show. So instead, I want to pose a hypothetical, but somehow not impossible scenario to you. What if the Lions and Chargers make the Super Bowl? The amount of things that have to go right for both teams is insane, but they're both in similar positions with favorable schedules. And the teams ahead of them could have tougher ones. It could happen. How do you think these two teams would stack up? Personally, as a Chargers fan, I'm not so sure I would want to face that Lions offense right now, even after that defensive performance on Sunday Night Football. They're clicking. Thoughts? Also, fantasy football isn't as much of a time sink as you think after the first few weeks. Once you find a reliable lineup, you really only end up swapping out a couple players each week and managing the roster across bye weeks. It takes maybe 20 minutes per week at most. Enjoy the start of your road trip, which I know you said is coming up soon. Balin, uh, I'm still in Portland waiting now on other stuff. I ordered tires. They're not here. It's amazing. Why did I do this to myself? You can never trust any delivery date for anything anymore. Um, so whenever I drive near you, Balin, uh, I have your number. I'll text you. I want to connect. I, I haven't left on my road trip yet, and it's, uh, ugh, sucks. Elias wrote in on, oh, hold on. Let's acknowledge what Balin said first. Gosh, I, I got a headache. I'm talking. I have a sore throat. Doing the best I can. Uh, Balin, you know, it's highly improbable we see the Chargers and the Lions in a Super Bowl. I mean, I think both teams are probably one more year away from even realistically making a Super Bowl. Although, if the Chargers can get into the playoffs, they might be a dark horse Super Bowl team because they're going to get healthy at the right time. And they have a lot of talent. They could beat anyone. I really believe that. Herbert's crazy. Um, but what I want to talk about is the Lions. I would love to see Jared Goff 
win a Super Bowl with the Detroit Lions and do what Matthew Stafford could not do in Detroit, which is turn around the franchise. Um, I just that would that would warm my heart. So I'm rooting for that. Uh, but it's it's monumentally unlikely that the Chargers will play the Lions ever in the Super Bowl. Elias wrote in. Elias said, hey, Zach's eyeballs. Hope we're doing well. After the week 14 spanking the Jaguars gave Tennessee, do you see a world where the Jaguars can win the division? Tennessee is weak right now and have one of the worst O-lines in football. I don't see them winning many games and the Jags are on fire and Trevor frickin' Lawrence is just dicing up defenses. I worry a little about facing Dallas, but our O-line hasn't given up a sack in six games, so I'm actually super confident. What are your thoughts here? Um, the Jaguars are 5-8. and eight. Tennessee is 7-6. and six. So the Jags are two games behind at Tennessee with four games left to go. If the Jaguars win this weekend and Tennessee loses, it'll only be a one-game gap. Uh, you know, the Titans play the Jaguars near the end of the year. Uh, I guess it is the last game of the year. So... Um, the Titans play at Jacksonville that last game of the year. So that could be the battle for the division title. Uh, the problem is the Jaguars played Dallas this weekend and Dallas is really good up front. I, they are inconsistent. The Jaguars have a chance, but you know, the Jaguars last four games are Dallas at the Jets who are solid at Houston. That's probably a win and Tennessee. The Titans last four games are at the Chargers, Houston, Dallas and then at Jacksonville and the question is can the Jaguars make up two games in four games can they make up a two game difference in four games I'm not sure Um, but I think what's encouraging is that they're even in the conversation and it bodes well for next year when they start the year even better with you know Trevor Lawrence's second year in the system I think the direction the AFC South is heading in is the the Jaguars are going to be the dominant team moving forward with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence and I wouldn't be shocked if this was the final year that Tennessee wins a division for a while because they fired their GM. Things are going well. Keep your eye on Tennessee. I'm I'm interested in their future, but um, I see changes happening, and I think Jacksonville is soon going to go from a team threatening for the division to actually dominating and winning the division. Ian K. wrote in and said this, Zach, why can't defensive players win the MVP? There's this ridiculous notion that it's a quarterback award, and defensive players deserve to win it now more than ever. Uh, it has never been easier to play quarterback or offense in general, and it has never been more difficult to play defense. If it were up to me, Nick Bosa would, would win the MVP this year, and I think T.J. Watt should have won it last year. How say you? Um, ENK, it's an unfair league. Um, it's an offense-driven league, and quarterbacks have the biggest amount of stats collected. I mean, just they touch the ball more than any other player, so... You look at touchdown passes, yards, completions, wins. It's always going to be a more impressive seeming than um, sacks and tackles. And a lot of the stuff that makes a great defensive player is harder to measure, too. Um, so I think quarterbacks we've just had, there's a, a big amount of numbers you collect that makes it easy to measure their success. On top of, you know, touchdown passes, yards, completions, but also wins. Wins get counted as a quarterback stat now. Um, we just need to have an offensive player of the year and defensive player of the year. MVP is stupid. What does it mean? It's nothing. Offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year. That's what you do. And no MVP because MVP, most valuable player. What does that even mean? No one knows. It's marketing. It's not going to change, but I can, I can still complain about it. Uh, Ryan writes in. Ryan says this. Hey, Zach. I hope all is well and that your errands didn't kill your week. 
Um, they almost did, actually. Um, I just listened to your most recent episode, and I have some very good news for you as it relates to the Lions. Per Ian Rappaport, the Lions do not view Jared Goff as a bridge quarterback. The plan is, and seemingly always has been, to build with him under center. The staff Detroit has hired puts him in position to be successful, and most importantly, fosters a strong belief in development. Not just development for rookies, but development for every single player. Players like Alex Anzalone and John Comiskey are having career years, while Jared Goff, he's resurrected his career. Even amongst members of my family, Jared Goff's nickname has changed from Jared Goof to Jared Goffslinger. Um, also, I tried to warn you that Brock Purdy is really good a couple years ago, lethally accurate within 10 yards. I comped him to Derek Carr, but I think there's a little more willingness to take risky throws downfield in Purdy's game. Either way, I'm happy to see him doing well at the NFL level. Anyway, have a good weekend, a good week and great weekend, and if you get bored of warm weather and truck life, then feel free to come up uh, for some ice fishing in Ames when the NFL season is over. Dude, I would love to go ice fishing in Ames, Iowa with you. Um, I would feel like the YouTuber Matt living in a truck doing ice fishing. I feel a little bit like, a, like I'm stealing his thunder, but I, I, I've never gone ice fishing, so I'll do it. Sounds amazing. Um, this news story you sent me, Ryan, gives me comfort. I, I read it. Um, I think if the Lions play things right, so they are going to build around Jared Goff is what they're saying publicly. And if if the Lions do things the right way, they could build an incredible football team. I, I think you draft defensive line. You just double and triple down on your defensive line. You build an incredible pass rush similar to what Dallas has done, what the 49ers have done. Why are the 49ers good every year? You ever ask that question? Change quarterbacks, they but every year, even now they're winning with Brock Purdy because their defensive line is incredible. And their defensive line makes the rest of their defense much better. And so... Um, if the Lions want to help their defense, just get guys who can get after the quarterback and generate a pass rush, and you will probably be in a really, really good spot moving forward. Um, James writes in. James writes in, and James, I wanted to say, you're this is the guy who I wanted to welcome to Patreon. James said, it's a very long one. James says, hey, Zach's eyeballs, new Patreon subscriber. James, welcome. I appreciate you. Uh, I've... Been watching SOS since you were still a Pacific Lutheran and actually scouted you when I was working for D3 school. Where was the offer? He never reached out to me. Probably because you're like every other coach in America to realize Zach's short and can't play football. Um, <laughs> if you ever find yourself in the Detroit area, I'd love to show you some of my favorite local breweries and throw a football around. James, hell yeah. Let's do it. Um, this is a long one, but I hope you find it interesting. I did it, so I'm reading it. James says... You mentioned several times across several recent SOS episodes that you feel like the Lions got rid of Jim Caldwell when he was just starting to build something. I know you've said in the past that you haven't watched much in the way of older Lions games, and I can't blame you. They're not very enjoyable. But as someone who did watch those games and consumed a lot of alcohol because of those games, Jim Caldwell needed to go. Jim Caldwell spent seven years as a head coach, three for the Colts and four for the Lions, and at no point in his tenure with the Lions did he show the level of experience, especially when it came to game management? Did he show that level of experience? Jim Caldwell is making rookie coach mistakes all the way through his seventh year as a head coach. Wasting timeouts for nothing, then refusing to burn them when they were needed. The majority of his winning seasons came uh, as a lion came. Hold on, I can't even talk. The majority of his winning seasons as a lion can be credited to Stafford saying, F it. Megatron is down there somewhere, and then Calvin Johnson would somehow catch the ball despite being quintuple-covered. Even after Megatron retired, Matthew Stafford continued putting the team on his back and dragging Jim Caldwell, kicking and screaming to a win. 
It's also worth pointing out that Jim Caldwell did everything in his power to neutralize every advantage the Lions had. He took over a team that didn't have much going uh, much going for it except a big-armed quarterback, and then his, off, his choice of offensive coordinator was none other than the esteemed Jim Bob Cooter. That is not a joke. That is his real legal name of a real NFL coach. A man who was so obsessed with the screen pass that from 2014 to 2018, Matthew Stafford was forced to throw 368 screen passes. That led the league during that span, and by the way, accounts for 16% of all of Stafford's attempts. Those screens came at horribly predictable times. The final two years of Jim Bob Cooter's offense, incredible name. Uh, I, a person who has never played in the NFL, accurately predicted all but two of those screens. It was super simple. If the running back, theoretic, was in the lineup, it was going to be a pass. If he lined up as a halfback rather than a tailback in the shotgun on the wide side of the field, it was going to be a screen. If I could predict it, every defensive coordinator in the league could also predict it. The point is, you've got a guy with a howitzer strapped to his arm, arguably top three in the NFL for arm strength, at least at the time of Caldwell's hiring, and he put a ball and chain on him by forcing him to throw so many screens. Matt Patricia was even worse, but had the same flaw of never learning from his mistakes. The difference with Dan Campbell is not his personality or his leadership. It's that he's learning from his mistakes, holding himself accountable, which gives him standing in the locker room that holds uh, to hold his guys accountable and empowering his players to do what they do best. If you ever want someone to talk, if you ever want someone on the show to talk about Lions need an off-season filler, let me know. Uh, I'm not a podcaster myself, but I don't, because I don't have the attention span for editing, but I do have a nice, clear Behringer mic, or even if you want to just written perspective on the Lions topic, feel free to reach out. That was very long. I feel like I did a terrible job writing it. My throat hurts. I can barely, I'm having a hard time talking at this point. Uh, but um, I just, I appreciate the correction. I have talked about Jim Caldwell often and said he got fired unjustly. And maybe I should have edited that down to the the bullet points, but we'll just say it here is that Jim Caldwell didn't learn from his mistakes and he called a lot of screen passes and built an offense with Jim Bob Cooter that probably was not the right approach given your quarterback's talent, uh, Matthew Stanford. Um, I just, I like the breakdown on the Jim Caldwell firing. I've never heard it put that way. And uh, James, I appreciate it. Zach writes in and says, hey, Zach. I've been watching you for. Oh, I can't. I cannot talk, dude. I. I'm, I'm. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight left. Eight left. Eight questions left. I got a headache. I'm doing the best I can. Um, Zach wrote in and said, "Hey, Zach, I have been watching some of the major sports shows and have found out that it is a bad idea. While I enjoy some of them, whether their personal, whether for their personality or their good takes, I have found most of them to be annoying and infuriating because they would rather make headlines for bad takes than good ones. What is your opinion on major sports media and pundits? Um, look, I, I'm too tired to throw stones tonight, but um, the, the media in general says stuff to get views and... Uh, not because they believe it necessarily. I think, unfortunately, though, it's not just the media. It's it's people reward that behavior. I mean, the reason why they do it is because people watch it. Um, and so the sports media isn't going to change anytime soon because their, um, I, I think, crappy approach. Again, I don't want to throw stones, but eh, I don't love it. Um, it gets views and it makes a lot of money. And so it's just not going to change anytime soon. And um, that's... That's the truth. Uh, Steve wrote, wrote in. I, I'm sorry. I, I, need, I need to take a break. Give me one second.
All right, Steve wrote in and said, Hello, Zach's eyeballs. As a Browns fan, I wouldn't exactly be upset if Deshaun Watson flops in Cleveland for a number of reasons, especially if it leads to Jimmy Haslam selling the team. In regards to expectations for his play, currently we're just looking for him to shake off the rust this year and improve his chemistry with the receiving core. Our offensive line fell off a cliff in the last two to three games, which isn't helping his cause, but he still should show some signs of improvement with each game. Part of that's because of him calling protections up front, by the way. Um, It's not like he isn't used to poor offensive line play. If he isn't back to his normal self by the middle of next year, that's when I think it's time to hit the panic button. Also, fantasy football is arguably my favorite thing on this planet, and I would love to be in your fantasy football league. I'm the commissioner of a league, so I would be able to help guide you through the process of running your own league uh, and what some of the popular rules, platforms, and types of leagues there are. It's definitely not as time-consuming as you think, although it can be if you go balls to the wall with your research and planning ahead. Hope everything is up, hope everything is well, and hit me up whenever you make it to Cleveland. Steve, you're in. Fantasy football, I, you're a commissioner? Help me out, absolutely. Um, I just appreciate the Browns' perspective. You know, you're just looking for progress, and sounds like by the middle of next year is when you are going to start to have higher expectations for Deshaun Watson. Um, Canuck wrote in on Patreon and said, If you were the Steelers' GM, what names would you be looking for at the Steelers' offensive coordinator job, or would you still roll with Matt Canada because of his connection with Kenny Pickett? Love the show and keep up the hard work. Uh, Let me just say this. Use this as an opportunity to say one more time. you got to keep Matt Canada. Um, he's not perfect, but I, I do not think it's a good idea to make your young quarterback, Kenny Pickett, learn a whole new offense in his second year in the NFL. Um, he's just trying to keep it going. And I think making him learn a whole new system again, uh, for the second year in a row, it just, it would hurt his development, honestly. So I would keep Matt Canada in Pittsburgh as the offensive coordinator. Josh wrote, wrote in and said, hi, Zach. Want to see if I can sneak in a nerdy video game-related question. What is your combat strategy in Breath of the Wild? Do you prefer sneaking around and then attacking, using bombs, bow and arrow from a distance, or just running up and fighting? Or do you prefer to get away and avoid the conflict? Saw the game on your story, heard you mention it on an SOS episode, so I thought I'd ask. Um, yeah, I was watch- I was playing Zelda Breath of the Wild uh, during the World Cup. <laughs> um I never, ever use a two-handed weapon. I hate them. I like having a shield. You can block stuff and parry and all kinds of stuff. I always use a one-handed weapon. A lot of bomb arrows, uh, a lot of distance, uh, a lot of bombs in general. They're they're unlimited, and they're fun to, like, use stealth from a distance and, like, throw stuff down hills at little forts. Um, Early on in the game, I used a lot of stealth and distance, but now I'm so powerful that I'm just not afraid. I run in and attack everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's my approach. It's, it's an amazing game. It's so fun. I've been playing that and Dying Light and, uh, Dying Light has got such a fun combat loop. Oh my gosh. Um, the Nintendo Switch, man, like you don't need much. I'd love to buy a Steam Deck someday. I don't have the money for that right now, but it'd be sweet to someday have one to play even more capable video games. But, um, dude, my Nintendo Switch is my favorite thing I own straight up. Uh, I use it as often as I, I don't actually, I don't actually have that much time to play games. Um, uh, but whenever I have a moment like here and there, it's also great because you can just pull it out. Like it's, it, there's no setup time. It just, it's in your hands and you can play for 20 minutes and put it down really easily. So, um, I love, love, love my Nintendo switch. It's amazing. Jack wrote in and said this, Jack said, could prime Zach Schaumler lead a touchdown drive for the 49ers given time to study the offense at practice? 
let's say you had to make five throws to do so, which could even be checkdowns and screens to Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey and could rely on the run game for the rest. Good luck out there, Jack. Um, I need a lot of, I would need a lot of help to be an NFL quarterback. Uh, I like my heart would like to believe I could throw a screen pass or two, a couple checkdowns, put it in Christian McCaffrey's hands and let him run. Uh, I don't want to disrespect quarterbacks at the top, though. That's a hard job. And honestly, like, I I worry I would get every pass tipped at the line of scrimmage. Like, I wouldn't almost dare throw the ball downfield. <laughs> I would just get batted at the line of scrimmage. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 5'11 man, uh, and if I tried to run or, like, extend a play, like, if my read wasn't there and I tried to run around, I would get obliterated and probably die um, or get an intentional grounding call and still get hit and die. So, I don't know, man. I... You, you'd like to think, your ego would like to think you could step in and, and lead a drive in the NFL. <laughs> Probably not, man. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to sell myself short, but I also, like, I try to be realistic. And, and, and really, I respect what NFL quarterbacks do. Like, it's not easy. And if Sam Darnold can't do it 100% of the time, I, you know, like, I don't know. I just, he's, I've seen really talented guys fail in the NFL. And I'm like, I trained with those guys. They were, like, way better than me. So, I don't know. Um, although I will say my claim to fame in front of Trent Dilfer, he wouldn't remember this, but, um, Brett Rippon is now the starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. Once upon a time in Eugene, Oregon, uh, at the Northwest NFTC camp in front of Trent Dilfer and the elite 11 staff, um, had an incredible day, way better than Brett Rippon. He's now in the NFL four year starter at Boise. I was barely a D three quarterback. Like he was better than me long-term, but I, at that one camp, I had his number. I had a way better day than him. Uh, kind of funny how life works out. Um, it doesn't hurt that he's got uh, family members who played in the NFL and helped with recruiting and money. Um, yeah, like yeah, that's a part of how many quarterbacks. I don't want to sound so bitter. I shouldn't say any of this, but how many quarterbacks are from wealthy families? And part of why they succeed is because their family can send them to camps and get them in front of coaches or have connections. Um, you know, like not all of them, but if you're not, you better be really talented. And even if Josh Allen can go, uh, you know, totally overlooked, um, then I feel like anyone can. So eh, it's interesting to me. Like it helps to know people, I guess is what I'm saying. Just another Florida man wrote in and said, Hey, Zach's brain behind his eyeballs. <laughs> That's fun. My brain. Yeah. Yeah. It is what you're, my, my brain is technically what's reading. Um, Last week, while Baker was pulling off this huge win with the Rams, he got so hyped that he headbutted another player when he wasn't wearing a helmet. There's some good footage of it online, and I feel like I've seen him do this before. When you were playing, did you ever get so lost in a moment that you did this or see someone else do it in person? P.S. You might need an SOS sweepstakes program to allow people into your fantasy league. There's so many of us that are interested. Florida man, you want in? Send me a DM. I'd love to have you on the list. I got a list building. Got like four so far. Yeah. Hit me up if you want to be on the Patreon League. There's only 12 spots. We got four already gone. Um, I had to say calm as a quarterback. You know, I was not a good quarterback if I got too fired up. I was at my best when I was peaceful and low-key and zen. Um, at a camp, though, we were playing Eastside Catholic in a scrimmage. And their big defensive end who was committed to UCLA was face-masking my uh, running back. And he wouldn't stop. And I thought he was going to hurt him. Like, that's you're going to mess with his neck. I need that guy for... I'm trying to win games this year. You can't hurt my running back. Uh, and I got in his face and, and like, pushed him. And then I looked up, and he was towering over me. 
<laughs> and, and I started a brawl. Like after that, we all fought and had, I got, I, I realized my mistake pushing this massive six foot five defensive end, like just, just a mammoth of a human. Uh, and was like, well, that was stupid. But my team went to bat. We all fought. I kind of skedaddled and just left the fight. But I did start a brawl at the Oregon State uh, summer camp <laughs> in full pads. Um, we also fought Peninsula High School. And I, like I said, you know, my senior year, uh, I had to learn the lesson of I, I, if I get too fired up, I don't play very well. I got better and better as the year went on. Like my final two games of my college or my high school career, I really figured it out. Um, but it's, it's I learned too late. Um, how to, how to play really. Um, and, uh, what was I saying? Oh, I got into a brawl where like I ran off the sideline and I like blindsided a kid who was playing defense who kept cheap shouting. Like he kept cheap shouting our players in a scrimmage, our backups, our JV guys. And I was like, that's not fair. So I, I cheap shouted him, which horrible decision making by me. Like I started a second brawl that, that day and I, we had a lot of fights and it was fun, but, um, so yeah, I got too fired up early on in my career and I had to learn to not do that. Um, that, that story does not make me look good, but it's true. So I, let's leave it in. Uh, Kenny wrote in and said, hello, Zach. I was wondering if you plan on going to any bowl games this year. Personally, I will be attending four in the Dallas Fort Worth metro area, the Frisco armed forces, first responder and cotton bowls. I personally live in Oklahoma and these two, these are the closest games. It's going to be a tough two weeks driving back and forth from Oklahoma to Texas, but it should be fun. P.S. It is forward slash not backslash forward slash equals blank backslash is this. Um, no, I'm not going to go into any bowl games. Probably not. Money's tight right now. I'm just trying to not die and get to Cali so I can be warm. Uh, but someday I'd love to go to more football games. I also don't – I like going to football games. I don't love it. I'd rather watch from home and, and be able to take notes more easily and not be in a public setting. I'm a very shy, introverted person, to be totally honest. Um, so – even if I had the money, I probably wouldn't. But someday I want to go to some games and that'd be fun. But I, yeah, I, I, not right now. Um, last one of the day, Carl writes in and says, Hey, Zach's pupils. I thought about this for a while, but I don't think you're correct on Carson Wentz's character. From what I can see, the locker room likes him. Taylor Heineke speaks very positively, positively about how Carson Wentz has handled the situation. I think the reports of him being a cancer in the locker room was Jim Irsay covering his butt. That's the Colts owner. Sure, he isn't Taylor Heineke in terms of leadership, but very few quarterbacks are like Heineke because he knows this that this won't last forever. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes will be lighting up the league for years. Heineke has maybe one more year as a starter. Does this change your perspective on Taylor Heineke versus Carson Wentz leadership or locker room presence? Um, not really. Um, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And Philly got rid of him. Indy got rid of him. Washington benched him. You know, I'm not saying Carson Wentz is a bad person, but he's certainly not a great leader. That's for sure to me. Um, and I don't know, like, th th does that even make sense? Taylor Heineke knows he's doesn't have a lot of time left, so he's a better leader. Like, I think it's just who Taylor Heineke is. Um, not every quarterback... I, I think Carson Wentz and Kyler Murray have a lot more in common where... They're just not as engaged on the sideline. They're not helping people. They're not encouraging. They're just kind of sullen and quiet. And it doesn't work very well, in my opinion. Um, it didn't change my perspective, but I do appreciate being challenged, Carl. So thank you. But um, it's it's hard to ignore three separate teams that ended up deciding they don't want Carson and, and 
switching to guys who are known for their leadership. So, um, eh, interesting to me. All right, guys, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm cold. I have a headache. I, I really need to rest so I can be better. Uh, I, I'm excited for this weekend and I want to make a great episode Sunday night. So I love you. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. Um, a lot of people keep asking about my other podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking. I, I'm so tired and busy and I, I don't know when to fit it in, but um, it's out there. I'm working on it at some point. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great day. But I'm bum bam. We are done.